Welcome to Any Way You Want It. I'm your host, Kaylin McDuff. I'm an LA-based coach for women who want to create lives based on desire. Here on the show, we like to have real conversations about sex, relationships, and life through talks with everyday people, experts, friends, and everything in between, I give you a plethora of options, different relationship models, new mindsets, perspectives, and paradigms. Listen for what sounds interesting to you and follow that. This is just the beginning of you having a life designed entirely from the specificity of your desire. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Any Way You Want It. Um, I am joined here uh, by my friend Rob Holden. Hi, Rob. Hi, Kaylin. <laughs> yeah, how's it going? Good, good. I'm having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're like 30 seconds in, already having a good time. This, uh, this bodes well for our conversation today. Um, so I will, before we dive in, I'll just, um, I'll just introduce you. I am, I'm so honored to have you here, Rob. And, you know, I think the funny thing is, is when I called you to say, hey, do you want to do this? Like, I realized, I'm like, this is a guy who I'm really intrigued by, um, I, is in my network and, you know, kind of my community and circle of friends, but I don't actually know you that well. <laughs> And so I think our conversation today, like I know I'm going to learn a lot and I think you have a lot um, to just share with my listeners. Um, so to let the listeners in um, on who Rob is, um, Rob is, has been an ecologist, what, for about 15 years or so? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he worked in client or climate science. Wow. I do so well with technical terms. This is going great. Um, and he spent actually about a decade living in the Swedish Arctic. He has been to the North Pole all in the name of science. Um, and now he's a coach that supports people through their darkness. Um, so anxiety, trauma, depression, um, and, and, you know, all of the aspects of being in, um, in darkness. And the reason why I reached out to Rob again, is just because he's just been this person in my circle of, of people, um, that, uh, you know, kind of, I, I look at Rob and I'm like, you're just like, I don't know. You're, you're like this lone wolf that came from the Arctic and then like somehow found this transformation work. And, um, and I just, just want to hear all about your journey and what's come out of it and how you're helping people. Um, so thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I don't even know where to start because there's so many conversation topics here, but uh, perhaps let's start with the Arctic. Like tell us what uh, what brought you there? What interested you about it? Um, kind of like start us start us on that journey. Uh, um, 
I think partly it's my family for some reason has a fascination with Arctic explorers, um, <laughs> particularly my mum. I, I think it's like it's the only place you can be like tough enough to, to be a good person. <laughs> Hard to figure out. Um, <laughs> Got yeah. it. I went to the Arctic for the first time when I was 15. I went hiking with a, oh, 17. I went hiking with a school buddy. Um, and we just like flew to Oslo, didn't know where we were going, bought a train ticket, spoke to some people, and bought some maps in a shop and just like went to the middle of nowhere. Um, Okay, so let's be clear. You were 17. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, wait, remind me, where did you grow up, Rob? Oh, in uh, Lincolnshire in England, which is a really rural part of the country, like East Coast. Okay. Up. Okay, got it. So totally normal thing for two 17-year-olds to say, let's just go to the Arctic. <laughs> right. Maybe, well, perhaps. We didn't know we were going there till we got there, really. But yeah. Wait, you hadn't planned to go there? Uh, well, when I was a teenager, I used to go to I used to go hiking in Norway, and um, they had this awesome shop in Norway, the like hiking association. So what we used to do is fly to Norway go to the shop because you couldn't buy maps in Britain of Norway. So we go to the shop and just be like, <laughs> where should we go? Yeah. Where should we go? And they'd get like people out the back and be like, Oh, that guy's been to this place and like study. Wow. The map. Um, yeah. Wow. And we just figured it out from that. I think we did it like three times and the Arctic was the third one. We used to do it in Scotland before that. When we were wow. Wow. I mean, I grew up in Wyoming, um, but, you know, this is a whole different childhood. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's like fast forward to adult life. You decide professionally you're going to go to the Arctic. Tell me about that. Like, how does one, and you were there for 10 years. This was not like, oh, yeah, let me just, you know, make it through. I'm going to go for a, a year, maybe two years. No, you went there for 10 years. Yeah. Um, I, when I, when I went to university, I basically decided I wanted to work outside. Um, so then, then I studied biology and I got into like, um, ecology, evolution and, um, global change, like global environmental change, climate. Um, and yeah, like a year after I left university, I contacted my old supervisor and just, he had a job. I applied, I got a, um, and I worked in the mountains of Wales with him for a couple of years. And he had this like thread of colleagues in Sweden. Um, and then I got a PhD with somebody that worked in the Arctic, um, which turned out to be a nightmare. It was like me playing out my trauma with traumatic supervisors. 
Uh, Wait, your your PhD program was just a trauma, one giant trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me years to recover. It was a nightmare. And like, yeah, I knew it was going to be. Like, there was this voice in my head of like, oh, this is going to be rough. <laughs> wow. And you did it anyways. I did it anyway. And um my all my field work was in Sweden on my own. Um, so I'd spend like two months at a time in the dark in the winter, not not seeing a person. Um, yeah, what? Tell me what that was like. I just I cannot imagine being in the Arctic in the darkness in general, but then spending months and months alone. What was that like? Um. I think I'm quite used to being alone. Like I had a very solitary upbringing. Um, we lived in a house like a, a mile from a village and the village had 30 houses and I spent most of my time just in the fields um, trying to stay out of the house. Um, and yeah, in the winter it's like, I don't know, it's, quiet it's dark um it's really magical it's a magical place the arctic um it changes so quickly the locals they say we have eight seasons just the year is just like whipping around um and wow. yeah it's weird like after a few few weeks, I'd sometimes like test my voice to see if it still worked, <laughs> if I could remember how to speak, and it, it would come out croaky, just sounded weird. I'd be like walking around the research station at night in the dark, talking to myself with a weird voice. <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah. And the research oh, wow. station, it really reminds me of that hotel in that shining, like that kind of like creepy eerie eerie feeling yeah and the place is so silent like the snow just absorbs all sound um, wow like cars can drive past on the road and you like barely hear them wow like, when you're in the hills you it's just silent <sighs> So what did you learn um, just going months and months with no human contact? I mean, this is, this is fascinating to me, you know, because we're, in a, we're inside of a global pandemic where people have involuntarily had to have that experience. But this is something that you chose, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, what did you, yeah, what did you learn about loneliness and being with yourself and darkness, you know, all of that? I think, um, I'm like naturally a very sensitive person, like I feel a lot and, um, actually in doing all of the work, like the work we've been doing together, I forget yeah. one um, like a lot of people like armor themselves against it. Whereas I just like removed myself from it. So I wasn't with like all the craziness of the city and people. And I could just like feel myself and feel the landscape. And um, I, f I often feel like 
alone but not lonely like i i enjoy it like it's beautiful and and i think it also like let me touch my own sadness like i had a I had a kind of traumatic upbringing, just like uh, parents that were having a hard time themselves, I guess. Um, so I tried to just stay away outside from all the craziness. Um, and I think it let me like touch that, but I didn't know what to do with it. Um, yeah. Well, I love your... I. I love the just the arc of your um, your journey because I really hear the um, just the practice that it was being alone and allowing yourself to sit in your sadness, sit in your darkness, um, and just be with that. And I, and I also hear that you've allowed yourself to feel it and like move through your body yeah and i got better at that with with this work but um yeah i definitely felt it and also like being in the mountains like some of my work we'd be a group of people staying away from home in the mountains and like staying in a little house and then going out each day to do work but we were just this like tight-knit group all summer together somewhere and um man it's just like drama like being with each other like people you wouldn't choose as your friends and all all with like a common mission but with like <laughs> nobody in charge staying in like a damp house where you can never get warm and like you're like living and working together and um yeah, I found out doing that. I loved it when things went wrong. Like um, if something broke and like we we're already exhausted and like people having a tantrum, like throwing throwing things off a hill <laughs> that we need, and then like then like coming out of it and having to like hike down the hill for a mile and come pick it up and come back to us. Like I loved oh. being. We, we're often like sitting at night something had gone wrong it's like getting dark we're on a mountain and like somebody is crying and somebody's like laughing hysterically we're just like we don't get paid enough to do this and we get paid way too much like <laughs> i would do this for free and it's a nightmare and it's so much fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is just, I'm just trying to imagine this. This is like an alternate universe, you know? I just have so little, um, like, connection to the experience that you're describing, which is why I think I'm just so fascinated by you. Like... <laughs> The worst one is where someone throws their ski off a mountain. That's the Wait, say that, say that again? The worst one is where somebody throws their ski off a mountain. They have a tantrum and they throw their ski and then we just watch it glide for like two miles downhill. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Getting home. <laughs> wow. Well, okay, so... Let's just continue on our little journey here. I and so at some point you started doing transformational work. 
Mm. Can you, and I don't, I don't actually know exactly where that was, you know, in the 10 years that you spent in the Arctic. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear about, you know, kind of like what got you started on the path to like seeking more connection in your life and, and the, kind of the beginnings of that journey. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh. Two, two big things happened in my life, like a year apart. One was, um, which both involved, I, I worked on a research ship um, and I went away on one expedition for two months. And um, the first night I was on the, on, actually as we were like approaching the port, we stayed a night in the port in Greenland. And um, we were like all coming together the ship's crew for like the, my journey from Sweden, like every plane, every time a plane landed, like a few more of us gathered. And finally all of us were in one place in Greenland in Kangalusuak. And, um, there was this woman <laughs> and I saw her and I was just like, Oh, she's trouble. Like <laughs> she's hot. Yeah. And uh, she was the last, I tried my best to stay away from her. She was the last person I spoke to on the ship. And um, Wait, wait, why did you try to stay away from her? Uh, I think the honest answer is I had the girlfriend. And it, I had a girlfriend and I had like, I was going away with it feeling bad and mm -hmm. having none of the tools to express myself to another person. Yeah. And, I think from my childhood, I learned to tiptoe around my mum. So I was like anxious and scared and like treated women so gently, like, like they were going to explode. It's like, <laughs> this is going to explode. Me. You're like, don't, don't touch her. Right. Something might happen. Right. Okay. Uh, and I loved my girlfriend. She was wonderful. But I went, I went away with it feeling terrible. And then I met this woman. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I don't know if I can control myself here. And, um, and like, there's a lot of permission on the ship. Like, you're know, this crew that comes together for, like, two, three months. And it's real tight in there. And, like, you're in a completely different world to normal. And... Um, I had a house in Britain. I was living in Sweden. And that night I found out I'd sold my house after like two years of trying to sell it. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to sit with her at dinner. <laughs> she was the last person I spoke to on the ship. I just, Go wild. Yeah. Sold my house. And I think we just didn't stop talking all evening. And she later told me it was that night. I told, I told a story about crashing a car. She said she fell in love with me when I told her the story, <laughs> listening to me. I had everyone in the bar just listening to my story. Um, so by the end of that expedition, we were engaged. Uh, the engineer on the ship made us wedding rings. Um, and <laughs> wow. So we engaged by the end of a like two to three month expedition. Yeah, I think it was two months long. Yeah. Okay. So this went real deep, real quick. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, she just got it. Like, she, yeah. And then I went back home, and it was just, like, I went home with all the shame and, like, just 
it felt awful. And Wait, know, because you had to tell this other woman. Who I lived with, yeah. Who, who you lived with that you are now engaged to, to another woman? <laughs> Nightmare. I can't believe I did it. Um, I got off the plane. It's this tiny little airport. And like I could see her through a glass window next to the door. The moment she saw my eyes, she just burst out crying like she knew. Um, wow. And then, then I had this like tortured year where I actually had like two partners and didn't know what to do. And I realized I was just like my father, like he did the same. And I felt like a complete coward. And like watching myself deal with this situation that my father had been in and just watching it go the same way. And like all my life, I've been like, I'm not going to be like that asshole. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do mm. that. I'm going to be the same. And then I was in the situation and it like, played out in the same way even though I didn't want it to and I just I just couldn't affect it um wow and at what point did you realize like okay I am just playing out a pattern here that's been playing out for generations uh it was about five days in I think oh okay unlike my father um and the next thing that happened, I went away on the ship again, like a year later, um, or 10 months later, like the next year's expedition. And um, I went to the North Pole and I always in my career had this voice in my head that just said, we don't need more data. Like, we don't have a data problem with the climate. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah data is just bulletproof it's bulletproof it's it's terrifying it is ter it's soul destroyingly terrifying my colleagues are terrified i'm terrified we're like staring down the barrel of a gun our whole career just being like when is it gonna kill us and we gather more data doesn't doesn't matter yeah um so I went away with that in my head and I was like, oh damn, I've wanted to go to the North Pole since I was a tiny little kid. And I was like, I know this is not going to be the thing. And then um, as we arrived, there's like 86 of us on the ship, I think. And um, two of us need to work over the North Pole like while we're there. Everyone else is going to party. And I, I was just like, I'm working. Like... I don't want to join the party because I, I know I can't like authentically celebrate. Um, but I went down onto the ice. Like we put down a gangplank. We all went onto the ice and we erected a pole that we made in the ice and then took a photo with us and the ship. And as I was doing that, I just felt anger, like pure, like rage. And, um, and I think like my whole life just changed in that moment. Like uh, I couldn't not listen to this voice anymore. And like my whole life I've been going north, <laughs> like trying to outrun something, I think. And literally mm -hmm. I'm standing at the North Pole and the only way to go is south. And I had to like turn around and face everything, like all my anger and like my feelings and this voice in the head of like, 
I'm not having an impact. I'm not, I'm not working in the place where there's a problem. Like I'm not at the bottleneck. Mm, yeah. Which adds everything feel pointless. Wow. Literally could not go any farther north. (laughs) You're like, I am on the actual North Pole right now. (laughs) I, uh, I launched a weather balloon at the North Pole. I was one of the guys that launched weather balloons. And uh, yeah, I wrote like a little message on it. And I remember just letting it go and being like, oh, I wish I could do that. Just like, just go. Wow. And um, so you heard this voice of anger. It sounds like it was really intense in your, like, it was like a full body experience. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was then so glad that I could just turn around and go back on this empty ship and work. Well, yeah, yeah. Wow. And then what? So you're present to your anger. <laughs> I think. Uh, well, then um, I'd thoroughly split with my girlfriend by this point, so I'm like homeless in a tiny village in the Swedish Arctic, like sleeping on people's couches or in their basements. Wow. The Arctic. That's a real place to be homeless. Right. And it's getting dark, like winter's approaching. And after a few years, like your, on my body, it would have this like winter fear in it. Like, you know, it's getting dark and, um, it's a real thing to go through the darkness. Um, yeah. And that was approaching. I was like staying on someone's sofa that I didn't even like. <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of the night and I had and literally looked at my phone and this email came in about winter retreat. Um, and I didn't really know what it was, but I was on the mailing list and I just, um, I didn't even read the email. It had to t- the title said winter retreat have the new year you want and the feeling i had at the north pole was a feeling i have every new year it's like we're playing the fake happiness game like the world's falling apart and we're just gonna like dance on the ice and pretend it's all good and and congratulate ourselves on doing nothing (laughs) yeah so i just clicked on it and signed up um, Wait, and let's be clear. You are in the Arctic at this point, And what was the location of this retreat? <laughs> somewhere near San Francisco. <laughs> out in the woods. <laughs> okay. About, I think that first time, it took me about 56 hours to get there. Oh, my gosh. Well... And I, I love this story because there, the, the thing I hear is like, there was just something in you that just knew, like energetically, you were just like, oh, like, I, I guess I just need to be there. And then you didn't even question the logistics. I mean, for, for most people, this sort of a decision would be fraught with like, but how am I going to make it happen? And it doesn't, it's not practical and it's not reasonable. And that just doesn't even seem like that's even at all the experience that you had. I think um, 
the more I've done this work, the more I've realized, um, or I used to grapple with this as a kid where, um, actually I really remember in Britain when we're 15, we have to choose, we have to narrow down our subjects at school and like choose the, begin choosing our focus. Like we focus so much earlier than the US. So you start like cutting away subjects which you're no longer allowed to study. And I had this like little A5 form where I meant to write out like 10 subjects and like cut away four or five. And I'd covered the entire sheet in writing. Like I'd written out one version, crossed it off, ran out another version, crossed it. I'm like sitting there like, feels like cutting my arm off if I'm no longer allowed to like study literature. And I'm like seeing the like, the path in the future that I'm like cutting away with each subject. And, um, and we do this twice in school. And in the end, I learned, like, I just had to go with my gut. Like, mm-hmm. and I've, I've always been aware that my head is always trying to talk me out of the thing that I want, which is a feeling. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm always aware of that, like, thing that part of me is trying to stop myself doing what I actually want. Yeah. How do you, um, I mean, I imagine that this is a a common crossroads you come to with your clients, like them following their gut. And it's, you just have such facility with this, you know? Um, I, and that, that story is just such a vivid representation of how much facility you have with this. So how do you work with people and support them around like going with their gut? Uh, um, Gosh, I don't know how to answer that. Like, um, I'm often saying like, really? Is that really what you want? It doesn't feel like it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So you actually reflect to them. Oh, that doesn't really feel like the thing. Yeah, and and like ask them, ask them what's going on in their body. Like bring people back to breathing in yeah. their body, which is something like I never really got. Breathing's been a big thing. Learning to breathe, like breathe and be present. That took me a long time. It took me a long time to find that thought that that's like a possibility of a thing that you can do. And it helps. Like, I think it helps everyone. And I guess that's something I've had a lot of like natural space for without, without being conscious. I mean, I've spent my life in a like big, expansive place outdoors where you can breathe and where there aren't these like messages coming at you. Mm-hmm. I had this experience like my first year in Sweden. <laughs> I spent an entire year in the Arctic and then for work, me and one of my Swedish colleagues were sent to the south of Sweden in our spring. So we went from like two meters of snow around and completely white everywhere, being in a village for a year with like not no excess lights, like no signs about anything. People all just wearing like outdoor gear. We went to Lund, which is the very south of Sweden, and gosh, it was overwhelming. We arrived at night, and like we went, we went to sit in this little restaurant where we could sit on the street, and we were both just like 
sitting back in our seats to all this like people going around just feeling like wow like this is a different world like feeling overwhelmed by like all the things going on around and like lights yeah. and like buses and advertising well yeah i can imagine when you're just not used to that when that's not your normal environment yeah it was really jarring <laughs> yeah like all of these like just more people than i'd seen in a year walking past on the street and like people in like people wearing beautiful like spring dresses everything was green <laughs> so yeah. people around just like in their own little bubble it was it's such a weird experience <laughs> you've had a lot of uh shall we call them weird experiences rob <laughs> unusual <yeah. laughs> that's why i wanted to have you here well um so i mean you know i could i could ask you more and more about your every minute detail of your life for hours um but i think the um the thing that i want to just uh zoom in on for a minute before we start to wrap up um is just this conversation about um darkness and for for my listeners you know who i think you know i use that word from time to time but i would love to hear what that means to you like darkness and being in the down what is how do you see it uh, um gosh all my I think all through my twenties, I was depressed and, um, yeah, like going to therapy on and off antidepressants, which like, man, I just had a hard time getting in my body. Like my body is like screaming. No, as yeah. I like things and having people tell you that's what you're meant to do. And nothing ever helped that for me until I started just like doing more of the things I wanted to do, like ch changing my external world. And I, I feel like I'd grown up in a world where no one ever asked you how you were. Like no one actually cared how you were. No one paid attention. Nobody, um, people told you not to feel your feelings. So like, I'm having a feeling like I'm having a hard time because my life is shit. <laughs> Everyone tells you not to feel the feeling of having a hard time because your life is shit. So then you can never talk about it and figure out that your life is shit. Mm. Um, and I think that's how I felt. So all the time I'm like, okay, the world is saying, don't feel this feeling. And then what do you feel? You just feel completely numb and nothing functions. Um, yeah and i think i think the thing the thing i wanted and the thing i always do with people is like i go around genuinely asking people how they are and if they say they're having a good time i'm like fine i, I can ignore you like there's nothing to do here <laughs> yeah i'm fine it's so we're just conditioned around right. that right but if I can feel they're having a hard time or if they say they are or like I can tell they're not 
telling the truth. Then I sit with them and I love saying with people and just their pain. And, and I think for me, that was what I needed to shift it. Um, someone to say it's okay to feel it and someone who can be there and like sit with you, keep the world at bay while you have that experience and, and tell you you're not crazy. And like when I came to this work, like that year after the North Pole, I came to this work and then I did this coaching program that you did, mm-hmm. or she you did. Um, <laughs> yeah, so much grief came out of me that summer. Just like all summer, I was flying between San Francisco and Sweden, and I'd go and do this weekend. I'd fly home and just like, be trying to work and I'd be running off into the forest, like screaming, digging my hands into the ground, even vomiting sometimes and just like crying my heart out for like three months. And I, I thought I was going crazy. I thought maybe I would die. And that program, like it made me safe enough to go there in a world that doesn't let anyone go there like i went to the doctor and the doctor just wants to feed you drugs like don't feel that numb out go back to work totally yeah well um and i'm just as you as you talk us through this i'm so present to how much grief there is in the world right right now you know, just like that experience that you just described of like viscerally crying and just like uncontrollably letting it all out. I mean, it really, it reminds me of what we're inside of right now. Yeah. Um, and, and it has me get curious, like, if, um, what do you see for our world? Like, what do we need right now, given... Wow that we are in so much grief? Um, Gosh, I have many answers to this. (laughs) (laughs) Give me your top one. Um, Well, I guess I would really like, and this is the thing I'm finding for myself, but I'd really like the world to reconnect to like the land and nature and and each other like Mm -hmm. communities connected to their landscape and their place in it and like putting love and care into their place which for me creates meaning and i feel like we're in this world that's trying to like yank our attention in every direction pour it into our phone and some like weird little app or gizmo. Yeah. Um, I'd like people to put it into their place and each other and find meaning. And I, I think for me, the climate is like, or our inability to deal with the climate problem is a like spiritual societal one. Um, mm. yeah wow that's to shift it wow yeah oh my gosh the client conversation the client the climate conversation as a spiritual conversation yeah 
I think that needs to be your book, Rob. (laughs) I have this thing of like politics, like I'd like us all to just like, so I think we need more gratitude in the world for one, but I, I would like people to start thinking of what's actually going on with like conservatives and liberals. And to me, like conservative at the root is somebody who doesn't want to move. Like who's like, let's not change things. This is working. This is the world I know. Change is scary. Um, And then liberals are the ones that want to move. Like to move somebody who doesn't want to move, you have to convince them it's a good idea. And like in politics, we're like mm. attacking each other. Nobody's listening. And personally, I think conservatives doing a great job. They're like holding, like I disagree wholeheartedly with everything they think, but they're holding responsibility of making sure we don't move into like chaos, which can kill us. And think liberals are shirking their responsibility of hearing that and convincing them it's safe to move like mm-hmm. i want us to marry these two opposites and i'm i'm from like a christian conservative culture and i've spent my time in academia which is incredibly liberal and no one seems to get this like they just seem to like wow. think they agree and yeah, yeah. It's liberals. Like we we are shirking our responsibility. We're the ones that want to move. It's our responsibility to move us. And to do that, you have to and you have to like talk to someone you disagree with and convince them that like our solution is better for them too. They've done nothing wrong. They've held they've held this position for like eternity. I'm grateful we all survived. We're all here. It worked until now, but it's not going to work forever. Yeah. Yeah. And what a different, uh, what a different mindset that is than a like, you're right or you're wrong. I'm right model, but to like relate to it in that way. So thanks for sharing. Thank you so much for your generosity. Um, This was uh, just really enlightening for me, especially just all of the work that you've done um, around being with anger and sadness and darkness and all the messy stuff. I think there's so much gold for that in people. Um, So if people want to get in touch with you about coaching, how could they find you? I'm not very visible online yet. Um, <laughs> I'm <on> Facebook. Great. <laughs> Send me Great. An email. Amazing. What's your email address? Um, it's rdh, which are my initials, 501 at gmail.com. All right. <laughs> I like to be cryptic. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Rob, um, for being here. I really deeply appreciate you and uh, and this conversation. Thank you. I had a good time. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening in today. If you got something from this episode, please share it with someone in your life and pop on over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. I'm so committed to more people custom creating their sex, relationships, and lives from desire. And this podcast is a big part of that. If you have ideas for the show or want to learn more about working with me as a coach, head on over to my Instagram at Kaylin McDuff or my website, kaylinmcduff.com. See you next time.